and uh, he understands, you know, where we've come from. Um, you know, just taking Christine and, and Ruth's different stories. Um, uh, one of the things I didn't find uh, in Chris Fountain's extraordinary book, Supernatural Ways of Royalty, was actually any definition of what royalty is. Right? So, I'm sure if we went round the room, you could probably... Well, let's, let's, should we just try it? Um, royalty. I'll go into teacher mode here, so stick your hand up. No, no. <laughs> any idea? So, what's, give us one word. When you hear the word royalty... How would you define it, Patrick? I, 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 mean, I think of it in terms of divinity, divine. Divine? Yes. That's a good place to start, isn't it? That, I mean, that's I mean, a good place else, to end as well. Nothing, <laughs> else, nothing else is, uh, it comes up to that. Excellent. As as Excellent. Somebody else? Inheritance. Inheritance? Mm-hmm. Somebody else? Kingship. Kingship? Privilege. Privilege, yeah. Authority, very good. Dignity. Noble. It's good, isn't it? Right, I think I've got some of those. <laughs> but here's, here's my little list. Um, oh, pointing out the screens. It's really good at the back there. God is royal. Now, why is, you know, here's my definition. And if you go to the book... Um, so I keep plugging the book, but there are, you know, it's just a reality that you know half an hour talk is only a little bit of what I wrote. Um, here's some of the categories that I came up with. So I thought, well, what does the Bible actually define? And you've already touched on some of them, and some of the words you used are very similar to some of those, aren't they? Um, authorities in there somewhere. But just just the concept of the Most High. Why do we call our king or queen Her Highness? Because she's the highest person in the land, you know, now in a ceremonial sense, but in a cultural sense, you know, she's, she's been that, isn't it? So royalty is this sense of highness. Christ is raised up to the highest place. And you might think, well, that's quite daunting, like, you know, Christina was saying, God is, he is awesome and terrifying, you know, you know, on that level. And yet he's also our daddy. He's, it's a complex thing to know God, isn't it? <laughs> um, but actually, when you start to think about, well, actually, those things are reflected in you and me. You are awesome. I know awesome is a bit of an overused word now. Isn't it? Oh, that's awesome. You know, sort of, everything's awesome. It's either awesome or iconic these days, isn't it? Um, but it, you are actually, part, part of this discovering your identity and working your identity is realising just how awesome you are. The tragedy of the 20th and 21st century is that we've been so likened to animals that we've actually forgotten. You know, I, I, it drives me round the twist when David Attenborough is watching a chimpanzee crack a nut and saying he's, you know, with a stick, and saying he's, here's an animal that's learned to use a tool. And I was thinking, so what? <laughs> no, no disrespect to chimpanzees, you know, and, you know, they are complex creatures. But, you know, they didn't, they're not Mozart, they're not Shakespeare, they're not uh, Bill Gates, they're not microchips, they're not anything to do with the glory of, uh, of humanity. 
They, they don't love in the same way. They don't invent. They don't create. They don't worship. They may display the glory of God, but as, as creatures, they are not worshipping God in the same that we did. And that's the unique, say we are unique, that's the unique privilege of being people who are made in the image of God. We're the only part of creation who's made in the image of God. Although the rest of creation dis- displays his glory, you and I are unique in that we were made in the image of God. I'll rest my case, but you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, so you don't need to get that. But you know, we, we do need to know that we live in a society that is progressively equating hum- humanity as if it was just part of part of the rest of creation. And very, you know, in a sense, you know, and whatever you believe about the theory of, uh, of evolution, the philosophy of it is actually bringing us down to a different sort of level. And, and at worst, excuses all of our worst kind of behaviours. Rather than Christian theology, which is elevating us to, to, you know, to the highest place. So, we are seated with him in highest places. So our royalty is actually to do with our highness too, because we've been taken by him, totally by grace, but nonetheless we're there, seated with him in heavenly places. He's wealthy, right? Royalty is about wealth, isn't it? God is the most wealthy person in the universe. Well, because he owns it all. So when you, you know, go back to Revelation and some of the, what you'd call the hymns of praise in Revelation. What is it? Glory and wealth and honour. You, know, you know, God is worthy of all those things. Um, we have mistaken Christ's self-imposed poverty. No, no regular income supported by his disciples, you know, and, and rich women. Uh, you know, read, read Luke's Gospel. And, and so we, we think, well, to be like Christ then, we need to be poor. And okay, there are seeds, you know, Paul says, be content with your circumstances. And, and you know, there, there's another side to that truth. But actually, you know, royalty is to do with wealth. It's actually something to do with what you possess. Not that you are selfishly, you know, there's the wrong use of possessions. But it's not wrong, it's not sinful to be rich. Just... Just be released in that. It's not simple to be rich. Ah, hallelujah. <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're kind of from an English culture, you say, oh, well, yeah, you, you need to be somewhere comfortably in the middle, not too poor, not too rich, you know, because if I'm poor, then that's not, that's just really uncomfortable. Uh, and actually, to be too rich, that's really uncomfortable. I might feel guilty about it. Right? <laughs> I'll have a friend of mine who would say, you know, Abraham, David, Solomon, these guys paid cash. <laughs> you know, Jesus, you know, emptied himself. You, you know, like Paul says, you know, became obedient even as a, a servant, became obedient even unto death. But he's now raised up to the highest place. He has all the resources of the universe at his disposal. The Father has given him what? 50% of his income? Now, the Father's given him all things. If. God has given us his son, Romans 8.32. If God has given us his son, surely he will give us all things. Same phrase. So, part of your royalty, and I'm not about to preach the prosperity gospel, just in case you were panicking. Uh, 
is actually you have the resources of heaven at your disposal. You are, you are the richest people around. Now sometimes that will express itself, and often it will express itself in terms of your possessions, uh, you know, that you're, you, you are to steward wisely and, and all that sort of thing. But getting hold of the concept that royalty is to do with wealth is actually like countercultural in the English Christian uh, world, isn't it? It can go to excess, you know, where people are sort of naming it and claiming it, if you're familiar with all that kind, kind of thing. But there is a kind of middle ground where you are, you know, you want resources for something, God has them available. You want to dream big, and I'll be talking a bit more about that on, on Sunday morning, then you've got to believe that God has the resources to pour into your dreams, to pour into his purposes. And it's part of your royal inheritance, somebody used that word earlier, right, that you have those resources available to you. You know, if you want to do something but you don't have the resources, you're stuffed, aren't you? <laughs> you're stuck. But God says, I've given you all things. If I've given you, and it's, it's not like, well, I've got Jesus, so I don't need anything else. Well, there's a kind of truth to that. You know, Jesus is our most precious possession, isn't it? The way the Bible expresses it, though, is if I've given you, or, you know, my own precious eternal son to die for you, to save you, he's now in you and you're in him, then surely, you know, it doesn't, the story doesn't stop there. In fact, all the indications are, as Jesus said, anything you ask in my name, I will hold it back from you, just in case you, know, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, siphon it out to you in small portions because you can't handle it. <laughs> I will give you whatever you ask in my name. God's promises are embarrassingly wealthy, aren't they? Embar- there's an embarrassment of riches. If you've been a Christian. Now the sad thing is that a church, certainly in the West, is known for its kind of poverty. You know, keep, keep him humble, keep him poor. It's actually something that's kind of been written over, you know, the full-time ministry in, in, in Britain, in, certainly in the past. And that to have riches, you know, have you ever met a rich vicar? Or a rich pastor? Well, there are a few around, you know. But the few that are around will be the exception, and the few that are around will be very suspect in our culture. Now, I'm not saying you'll, you know, you need to now go and buy Jamie a Cadillac or, you know, a sort of Rolls Royce. <laughs> Although I'm sure he wouldn't turn it down, but <laughs> or that even that you need to. But do you see what I mean? We, there's a poverty mentality around that is actually preventing us becoming all that we are intended to be. And we do need to kind of work that through wisely. We are worthy of honour. Now, Jesus is obviously worthy of honour. Are we? Well, surely we're unworthy. Well, yeah, you were. You were unworthy. You didn't deserve grace. You didn't deserve God's favour. But that's very different now. God doesn't look at you now and say you're unworthy. Although sometimes we think he does. But that's a wrong concept of God, isn't it? You are of great worth. I mean, why would God die for something, something, somebody, some people, if you weren't worth something? If you weren't now God's treasure? So your royalty is this sense of God loves me. He delights in me. He's, he's glad to own me. 
Right? I mean, God doesn't go around the universe, you know, apologising for the earth. Sorry about the earth. You know, sorry about those people. Um, if there are other people in the universe, I mean, I don't know who else you'd be talking to other spiritual beings, perhaps. But he doesn't do that, does he? This, you know, my people. He's willing to put us on display to principalities and powers and say, look at what can be done. This is to the glory of my son, but he has created a family, sons and daughters who are worthy, who have worth in them. Otherwise, you know, well, I save them, but they're worthless. Doesn't, doesn't compute, is it? Uh, if you're royalty, then you're a ruler. Okay? You have been given, we know Christ rules the universe, but he's also said to you, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. I am restoring you now to the original commission I gave you to have dominion over all creation. That was our, you know, we were born to rule. Just turn to the person next to you and say, I was born to rule. And I've been born again to rule. <laughs> so wherever you are, this could be your workplace, this could be certainly in your family, this could be in your community. You know, why is it that the political sphere, certainly again in, in the UK and probably be true of other countries, is so bereft, and not totally by any means, I think somebody, you know, I think somebody the, 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 the number of Christians that is born again clear Christians in the House of Commons is about 20, 25% of our MPs. Now that, that, uh, since the last election, that may have changed, I don't know. But that's, that's a very encouraging figure to know, isn't it? And those who have other Christian connections is actually wider than that. So it's not like our political scene is bereft of salt and light and of influence. But it's not the natural place where Christians gravitate to, is it? And yet we are born to rule and to reign, to bring the kingdom of God. And I know the political sphere is only one area to do that. But, you know, we have not been good at invading the rest of society and taking what some people call the seven mountains. You heard that concept, you know, of, of education, science and technology, uh, business and industry, healthcare. Um, the family, you know, uh, just areas where, you know, you take responsibility. I mean, how often, I know some of these experts, you know, I mean, when, when you want, when they're doing some media thing or they're telling some reporting something and they bring in an expert, how often do they wheel in a Christian? Now, I'm not saying that some, you can't be a Christian psychiatrist or a political commentator and then some of those people may well be Christians, but they're not asked to comment from a Christian point of view, are they? It's like our, the, the Christian perspective on society has been kind of, almost kind of removed from media. You know, that's, that's far too judgmental, that's far too politically incorrect. And so the kind of opinions that are expressed, the expert appealings, those who were ruling and reigning, actually very rarely come from a Christian perspective. Why is that? Well, that's not such sure some of the fault is in society itself, but actually some, a lot of it's to do with, with us not realising the commission that we've been given to rule and to reign. It's part of our royal responsibility to be invading you know, society in all its aspects. And I wonder if for some of you, you're, you, know, you need to get kind of stirred 
whether it's in your workplace, uh, you know, or wherever it is, whether it's working as a society, and, and there are a multitude of ways of working this out. I mean, I love what Ruth's doing, you know, with happy heads, saying, let's, let, let's, you know, here's an area of need, here's an area where she has experience and expertise that's kind of growing to be able to speak into, you know, a, a, an area which is now in the media really capturing everybody's uh, attention, not least of all amongst our young people. Um, and, you know, and some of the taboos of that are coming off, which is very healthy, isn't it? Glory. Kind of touched on that. Power. Uh, we could go on, couldn't we? Authority. Wisdom. Um, I was looking... I was still puzzled after all that, thinking, is there a word in the Bible that's used for royalty? And I thought, of course, a majesty. Mm. Is it, isn't it? You know, Christ dwells in majesty. That sense of, you know, you'll see it again in the Psalms. You know, God is majestic. Well, I think you can read majestic and majesty, you can read that for royalty. You know, there's, there's, there's something awe-inspiring about royalty. There's something uh, awe-inspiring, majestic uh, about God. And he wants, uh, he wants us to be glory, glorious. He wants us to be powerful. He wants us to be people of authority who speak not over people, but for people. Um, and of course, he wants us to be wise. So King Solomon is a, a picture of kingship and wisdom. Right, that's when King Solomon was doing all the right things, rather than how he finished. By the way, but, uh, you know, so wisdom is part. You know, you look at those qualities; you have them all in the power of the Holy Spirit, because you're Christian people. You have them all, don't you? So that's your picture of royalty. It's quite inspiring, isn't it? Are you inspired? Okay, let's just. Um, why do we resist this idea of royalty? Or maybe you think, well, I'm not resisting it, so what's the problem? Uh, and <laughs> well, let me, let me just take you back to something I said earlier, which is when you get a fresh revelation of God or a fresh revelation about yourself, you need to be aware that it will hit certain mindsets in your thinking that either prevent it or limit it in some way so that it doesn't actually kind of rest, doesn't get from your head to your heart or actually fill out, you know, uh, what it should do in your life. So, here's some common things about uh, how the concept of royalty might land in your thinking. The first one we've already covered to some extent, you know, that sense of hierarchy. In other words, there's always somebody above you, isn't there? Whether it's the monarch, or the prime minister, or your boss, or your father, or your mother, uh, or your head teacher or your teacher, or anybody that's in your life where you think, they're up there and I'm down here. Hang on a minute. Nobody is above you because you are seated with him in heavenly places. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have leaders and we shouldn't have a prime minister or a queen or there shouldn't be a boss or a, or a leader in the church, but it's kind of ha your attitude towards them, isn't it? So we've got one or two people coming from very different church cultures into Eastgate. And uh, a dear lady came up to my wife and, uh, one day and said, and was amazed that she was allowed to talk to the pastor's wife. 
Interesting, isn't it? And Carol's going, well, of course you can. <laughs> you know, um, and that's not disrespecting me, that's saying, hang on a minute, there's an equality that we have, and leadership is here to serve, not to be over you. So kind of hierarchical, hierarchical thinking can be a barrier to you realising just who you are. You are the same in, you know, not in your gifting and role, but your gifting and role is actually in order to serve, notice my hands, serve people rather than be over people. False humility. This is a, I was going to say this is a lovely one, but it's an awful one. <laughs> that sense of lack of self-worth of, you know, I'd love to do something, but I'm so, hum- you know, you know, sort of, um, if you're familiar with Charles Dickens, it's the Uriah Heap kind of mentality that I'm, you know, sort of, he's a bit creepy, and I'm not saying you're necessarily creepy, but, you know, it's that kind of, I'm ever so humble, ever so humble, and something of that spirit has got into, into us in some way, isn't it? And then you become a, you can become a Christian, and that kind of sense of false humility can get compounded. I am nothing, he is everything. I must give glory to God, no glory must come to me. You know, the concept that I might be glorious, oh, I can't say that. Because that will be to take away the glory of God. I love Chris Vallotton's illustration where he says, so if I rubbish a painting, that's a terrible painting. It might be a glorious painting, but that's a terrible painting. I, I, you know, how can I then go and say the artist is really great if I'm rubbishing his painting? So in this illustration, the artist, of course, is God, is Jesus. The painting is you. You are being made into the image, or you are you know, in Christ and constantly being conformed to the image of Christ, to the image of God's Son. So to say that you are rubbish or you know, not deserving of anything. I mean, we all know we're not deserving anything, but God has given us everything. Is actually to, if I diminish you, ultimately I diminish your creator. The one who's at work in you. The one who will complete his work in you. The one who has changed you from one degree of glory to another. So actually to say, look, what a great, what a fine piece of work you are. Turn to the person next to you and say, what a fine piece of work you are. <laughs> <laughs> Now try this. Then say to that person, what a fine piece of work I am. <laughs> you see, false humility would say, I'm okay telling everybody else they're all right, but please don't expect me to say that about myself. Uh, that's kind of a double thing, isn't it? Now this is not about pride. Here, here's the thought. Jesus, would you agree was the most humble man who ever walked the earth. So humble that he gave himself, dying on a cross, to bear undeservedly your sin and mine. Punished for your crimes, punished for your sins, you know, for the just dying for the unjust. We all know that, we all understand that. Philippians 2 teaches that, that he emptied himself and became, you know, obedient even as a servant, even, even obedient to death on a cross. And of course the same verses... Say then, you know, Christ, uh, God raised him up to the highest place. Now, the most humble man in the world was able to say the most arrogant, in quotes, 
things about himself, didn't he? I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the gate or the door. I am the good shepherd. I am, before Abraham was, I am. He went around, like Ruth was saying, you know, <laughs> he, he would have been sectioned, you know, in our society. Here's a man going around saying he's God. Now, when I said that's the most arrogant thing you say, of course it is, if you are not God. But of course we know that Jesus was. The problem with us is that we've lo- looked at those, well, certainly my, you know, my perspective was that I looked at those I am uh, verses, you know, in John's Gospel, and I thought, great, they are proofs of Jesus' divinity, which of course they are. But there were also statements about himself, aren't they? So the most humble man who walked the earth was able to make an expression of his own identity the, uh, and make these, these incredible ultimate statements. And you and I are being made like Jesus. Now this is not, you know, therefore not for us to go around saying, I am who, you know, and the, claiming the divinity of Christ. But it is actually to reflect his nature. So we can be humble and yet be aware of how glorious we are. Here's one of my most provocative statements, and please take it home and think about it. Anybody can be humble by uh, having false humility. It's easy. I am nothing. I'm you know, not, not worthy of anything. I'm, I'm miserable. You know, low self-esteem is easy to do. Most of us have done it at some point or other. I know pride's easy to do in a moment, you know, that's, that's, that's another, another thing. True humility is actually knowing how to handle your greatness. You see it in Jesus, don't you? He's the greatest man who ever walked the earth, and yet he was able to be the humblest man. Our human thinking says, I need to keep myself low in order to be humble. Well, there's, like most false truths, there's some truth in that. You know, we are humble and yet we are great at the same time. And part of our humility is handling our greatness, because all of us can handle smallness. It's not difficult. You know, our, our human nature gravitates in that way. We don't want to make presumptions about things. You know, it's, uh, um, unless you're American and you presume everything. No, that's not true. That's a, no, no, it's a, a caricature. Um, you know, we're humble British people, and uh, they're brash American people. You know, there, there is a kind of caricature in there. But do you see what I'm saying? So you can, if Jesus can hold those two things together, and we are made in the being made, and you know, constantly being conformed to Him, His image, then we can both handle greatness that God has called us to be. You know, I mean, he, I mean, the light of the world says that you are the light of the world. Interesting, isn't it? The ultimate salt of the earth, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. We tend to kind of take those things and say, well, that's that's about being useful. It's about doing. Well, you know, there is a truth in that. Salt is something that does something. And light is something that does something, but it's also light and salt. You see what I'm saying? Something about your being that actually you can glory, you know, glory, glory in. 
So, what's humility? What else have we got? A pauper mentality. Well, kind of covered that a little bit with what I said about wealth. One of the best books around sort of prosperity and money and that is by a guy called Dave, uh, uh, Dave, Steve De Silva, called Money and the Prosperous Soul. Very balanced book about wealth and prosperity. In fact, you can tell from the title, Money and the Prosperous Soul, it's actually about your internal life as much as about how you handle, you know, financial or steward financial resources. But he, he has this uh, a really good definition of what a poor mentality or a poverty, what some people call a poverty spirit. It's anywhere where you find lack. So you want to do something in the church or in the world, and you think, well, I can't do that because I haven't got the money, I haven't got the resources, I haven't got the people. Now, it may be true that at the moment you haven't got the money, you haven't got the resources, you haven't got the people, but if you stay there, you've got a pauper mentality, you've got a poverty spirit. That may not be true about you generally, although it may be, but in terms of that project, that thing you're about to, if if your starting point is, you know, I'd love to do that, but I haven't got the time, the resources, the money, or the people... You're certainly not in a place of faith, are you? What does faith say? Do you know what? I believe God wants me to do this. And so he will open a way. He will give me time, money, people, resources to do it. Because if God is in it and he has given me his son and he will give me all things, then he's going to resource me to do that. When we were starting the School of Supernatural uh, Life, uh, there, was a, there was a moment in, in our planning where we said, you know, we've got no money, no students, and no venue. It must be God. <laughs> okay? Now, this isn't wishful thinking. You've got to know that, you know, God wants you to do whatever he's called you to do. But, and, and that's your bedrock. That's your vision. That's your start for everything, isn't it? You know, whether it's something in your family or your business or your, or your church life. God said, do it. We have a little saying at Eastgate, if God said do it, we'll do it. Because God will provide the resources. Yeah. Do you know, and we, 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 we turned this corner, it was, it was, it was interesting. We made, we made a change in how we went about the school. And um, from one day we didn't have any students, the next day we started to get students. And we learned such a powerful lesson then that, you know, what God's going to resource in the future, he hasn't already given you. He's just asked you to do something. And that as you obey him and move forward in faith, he begins to supply the resources. So, pauper mentality can be a barrier to you coming into all that you know, your royal identity has. Talked a little bit about church and kingdom last time. Have you got a church mentality or a kingdom mentality? Church is good, but it's limiting ultimately to what you can do in God's kingdom. So you don't let, and when, when, I, when I say, so there's nothing wrong with thinking church. It's just that your present experience, if you look around you at the moment and think, what can we possibly do with this little group of people? That's what I mean by having, letting your present church experience determine your thinking. If you're a royal kingdom person, you're thinking, yeah, but the kingdom of God goes well beyond that. And if we are a kingdom-thinking church, then we will be reaching beyond where we are at the moment. Does that make sense? 
So you, you know, you walk with this tension, don't you? Thank God for what we've got now. But let's believe God for what he wants to do because his kingdom is what? Ever decreasing? Ever staying moderately British? (laughs) No, it's always expanding, isn't it? And it's like God's reaching out and stretching us out and wants to keep enlarging us. I know sometimes there are seasons where that doesn't seem to be apparent. But you you need to press in and sometimes God's calling out a perseverance of faith you know, in his people. But it's always his desire to keep breaking out and increasing his kingdom by seeing not only souls saved, but, you know, uh, social structures changed, you know, you being salt and light in society. You know, our, our goal is not just to have big churches. I remember a friend of mine talking about his, his, his nation, saying we could plant churches all over our nation and the nation wouldn't necessarily change. He wasn't anti-church, he was totally totally committed to planting churches across his nation. But he said, we've got to have kingdom people in our churches who have a vision for their society, their community. That it won't be good enough for the society not to change, simply for people to be saved. Glorious as that is, that's going to change their eternal destiny. But when the kingdom of God comes in, you know, the sick get healed. People get into jobs, people prosper. You know, there's something that changes. It becomes you know, injustices are dealt with. So we've got a local Pentecostal church that has inspired us to say, in Gravesend, we don't want any homeless people. We're going to have zero tolerance in the kingdom for homelessness. And so we have a night shelter and we have a drop-in centre. You know, and there are other things that are going to be developed out because there's a passion to say. And you know, the council thought we had half a dozen homeless in, in Gravesend, and over the last period between November and uh, I was into its third year of the project. We had a hundred what we call guests go through our night shelter. There are homeless people. I mean, you, you, I mean, it's all been out in the media anyway, so you probably know both locally and nationally that homelessness is a big problem. But in our town, it's the churches working together that are making a difference. And that's that's great, but it can be replicated in all sorts of other areas. That's a kingdom mentality, isn't it? I think ultimately the kingdom mentality works. Gets us working with other churches, other kingdom-minded people to make a difference in our society. That's a whole different subject, isn't it? Alan, it's too good to be true. We need to just, you know, if we've got any of that in our spirit, you know, that we say, well, can I, can I really have this real identity? Is it really true of me? Because, you know, the society around me doesn't seem to indicate that, you know, nobody goes past me and says, good morning, your majesty, you know, and uh, thank you for coming, it's so good for you to come to work today, you know, um, your, your, your princess, you know, your, you know, there's so much, you know, maybe in our backgrounds where we've been told we're stupid or not worthy of anything and so on, but like Ruth was saying earlier, you know, who do you believe? Is it the voices inside your head or your own self, you know, self, uh, um, or you know how, how you identify yourself, or what other people have said about you in the past, or what society's perception, even of Christians, is. No, the most important thing is what God says about you. Mm-hmm. And most of our Christian lives are actually bringing our minds into line with what God says about ourselves. That's why, so you know, you know, the, the, the bigger one of the biggest themes in the in Paul's letter to the Ephesians is about being in. Christ Jesus. 
Yeah? It's about who we are as much as what we're supposed to do. And actually, when we know who we are, there's a whole lot more we can do that's effective than otherwise would have been the case. So, have we got anything else? Identity matters. It's true and it glorifies God. It's part of what Jesus died for. It releases people. Right? It's funny, isn't it? We tend to think if we do more, we'll achieve more. Uh, and there's something in that, I'm sure. But actually knowing who we are, sometimes, you know, even the world has learned this, isn't it? Less is more. We think do more, we'll achieve more. Well, actually, that's not always true. And, and knowing who you are, and therefore, what God particularly wants you to do, what you're particularly gifted for, if you've got a sense of that rest with the Father, I know who I am in him, then the way we approach the task that God has given us will have a totally different sort of flavour. It enables prophecy to be fulfilled more fully. Have you got a few big prophecies over your life? If you haven't, then if you've not booked a prophetic appointment this evening, I don't know if there's a chance to do that, but you may want to do that. Kim Car- uh, um, Kerry Carter, who's, you may know Pete and Kim Carter in our church, uh, their daughter spent a couple of years uh, you know, doing the school at Bethel. Uh, before she did that, she was on a visit when Pete and Kim, Pete and Kim lived there for three months in Reading and Bethel. And uh, Kerry was visiting them and hadn't been there for a couple of weeks where she came back from a number of meetings she'd been to and a number of people she was beginning to meet and says, does everybody here get a big prophecy? Now, there aren't big and small prophecies in one sense, isn't it? Every word from God is good for you. But do you know what I mean? When I say a big prophecy, it kind of takes you beyond your present situation and thinks, you know, a big prophecy is what... Could I really do that? So somebody prophesied over me in a public meeting like this. It was a little bit bigger, but they were sat in the middle, one of their Bethel students, and he just calls out to the whole congregation in his southern American accent, Dave Webster, you're going to write an influential book. That wasn't bad, actually, was it? (laughs) Somewhere in Alabama, you know, they speak like that. And um, and I said, well, thanks for it. You know, inside I'm thinking, Really? You know, have I, I haven't even written an article for a magazine, let alone a book. You know, but I took that, and then God, God spoke through other people over a period, actually quite a long period. I mean, I didn't get round to start writing something for for a year or two because um, I didn't know quite what to write. And uh, first of all, I thought God wanted me to write a novel, which is still in the in the, on the back burner somewhere. And I kind of got into that, and then didn't know how to finish it. Um, and then it ended up going back to a more factual book uh, where I was more comfortable for, for as far as, and produced your royal identity as a result. Have you got big prophecies that take you beyond what you are at the moment? Well, if you're kingdom people, if you're royalty, see if you say to Prince Charles or Prince William or Prince Harry, do you know what? You're going to travel the world. You're going to meet kings and queens and prime ministers and presidents you're going to be influential, you know, Harry and William, you'll get together with Kate and you'll have an impact, you know, around the mental health situation in, in our nation. You, you will fund, you will um, support charities which will change people's lives. They'll say to them, sir, they won't say, surely not. How can I do that? No, 
because they're in a fa- they're in a royal family where well, that is the expectation and that's their heritage that's their history and they know, they have the confidence to do it so when they walk into the room people take notice don't they why do we have royal patrons for our charities and you know other things well because it gets attention and it you know draws influence and resources into those areas because they simply by having the queen's name the royal whatever it is and our society is full of royal societies and royal you know companies you know, our royal mail our royal drama our royal opera house our royal this our royal that and they 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 attract the patronage and the support of you know, businessmen and wealth and so on. You are part of a greater royal family. And, you know, you don't operate necessarily in the same way, but, you know, you have, you are influential. We don't know how influential we can be. And some of that will kind of be hidden. You know, we won't always know it, will we? We know that already. You've influenced people in your life that you don't even know that you've influenced. You know, it's delightful when, when people come up to you and say, you know, to me now, I got having written a book, but you don't have to have written a book, people come up and say, you know, that changed my life. In fact, I took one of our students on a mission and he was giving out my book to people, saying, and paying for, <laughs> paying for them, and they say, read this, it changed my life. I'm thinking, what? I will never know the influence that I've had on people, and you will never know already the influence that you've had on people. Again, it's not about writing books, it's just about being a Christian, telling people about Jesus, and being, you know, uh, Jesus people where you are, isn't it? And yet we don't, you know, we mustn't sort of say, well, it's all then hidden. Let's just believe in, you know, don't get the wrong end of this, we need to believe in ourselves more. That's not believing in your own strength and your own resources, because all the strength and all the resource still comes from God. But we're very clever as Christians in saying, well, I'm just relying on the Lord. As if the Lord is the one that's got to do it, and we haven't got uh, all, and we haven't got to cooperate. We need to believe ourselves that we are co-workers with God. And a co-worker, you can think for yourself, you can dream for yourself, and you know what? God actually is interested in what you think. Say that to yourself. God is really interested in what I think. God is really interested in my dreams. <laughs> Again, part of this is how do we view ourselves? You know, if it's me, it can't be God. How often do you say that? You know, if I have a great idea. In fact, it's almost like it's <laughs> as if we could hide from God. I better not tell God about that one because he might not like it. And then I'll get disappointed and discouraged and, you know, and I'll have to start all over again. Could it just be that God, in all his wisdom and influence and ability to, you know, uh, touch your life, that God's put that idea in your heart? And that actually your dreams line up with his dreams for you? Yeah? You have been born again. You have a new nature. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. It could be just the case that out of that amazing royal identity that you have in Christ, that the ideas that you come up with, that come out of your sanctified imagination, could have been planted there by God in the first place. Can I just say? You can just say, yeah. Um, at my last, I'm a teacher. At my last thought, I was... 
which is about road safety and um, getting people to school and respecting the environment, things like that. And I didn't really see it as my Christian, you know, yeah, my Christian role as a teacher, yeah. But the road safety thing, I didn't really see the importance of it because it was, I don't know, just something practical that needed to be done. <coughs> then I went to the Everything Conference, and which is about, which is what David was talking about, about, about you know, um, Christians being an influence in every area of society and I went to the one about community in your community and the guy that was leading it he said that um, they went to wherever it was to be pastors of of, of church and um, they made a significant difference to their little community and one of the things was just a simple thing there was this huge area of open space and around it were all the houses, etc. And it was huge. And anyone, nobody could cross this open space because it was constantly muddy and horrible. And uh, the church, the Christians, decided we're going to impress on the council to get a path across here, to get benches for people to sit. And they've got these semicircle benches so people would actually have to face each other and talk to people, <laughs> talk to each other. And do you know, this is what, this is what really stirred me. He said, when they went on Google Maps, Google Satellite, from the satellite you could see that part. Mm-hmm. And I think, and then when I went back, I just enthusiasm for, for actually protecting these children out there that came to my school just really stirred me in a completely new way. So I just really felt that what David's saying about, you know, we can just, we need to get out there and see that anything that we are stirred about comes from God. Because I had, I got stirred about wrong Children. And Very actually, good. then to actually see that is what God put in me. Yeah, yeah it's not, not just to do with church. Yeah. Very good. Amazing. Amazing. Every child that doesn't step out in front of a car has probably had a road safety talk, isn't it? That's saving lives. And saving lives that gr- people who grow up get married and have kids. Etc., isn't it? Again, you don't know. You see, on one level, you haven't got much, but what you use, it's like the, it's like, you know, the, the, the classic story of the five loaves and two fishes. Here it is. In God's hands, what you have gets expanded exponentially, doesn't it? All you have to do is be faithful to what God's calling you and believe in him and believe in what you are doing which is like saying believing in yourself and uh, you know and and go and do it isn't it superb thank you boys I know you are you Paul's wife pardon Rebecca yeah so what's it got to do with prophecy (laughs) Um, if you haven't got some big prophecies in your life that take you beyond where you are and take you somewhere else then ask ask the team to, to prophesy over you or say God just what is it you want me to do that takes me from where, you know, beyond where I am to somewhere else? What else is there? Helps people dream and achieve their dreams. We're going to talk more about that on Sunday morning. Increases ability to think big, handle freedom, wealth, power, and authority. I've never been in a church as big as Eastgate. We've got 20 staff. We're just putting a new annex. We've got a 3.7 million building. We're putting a new annex on the side of it. We are learning how to handle millions. We've never done that before. 
Now, you are, might work for a company where you're handling millions, you know, and that's another kind of responsibility, isn't it? But actually, it does, you know, it does, it, it, it moves you in that direction to know who you are, that you are a royal person who is called into wealth and authority and power and rule and will be given the wisdom and the integrity to know how to handle that. And for too long, the church has been kind of operating out of small budgets and small resources. And if we're to advance God's kingdom, then we've got to be the kind of people who are ready to take on you know, greater responsibility, not just in church life. I don't want to limit it to that, although that's, that's glorious. But you know, in society generally, and you know, and they're already—it's not like this hasn't already happened. There are plenty of examples of people who are, you know, whether they're CEOs of companies or politicians. It's just that God's calling us to do that more and more, so that we actually see greater, great—not just a reversal of some of the moral and spiritual decline of our nation, but actually turn that around to the kind of success that means the kingdom is advancing you know, all around us. And it kind of starts small. Because that's the kingdom, isn't it? How does it start? It's as small as a mustard seed. But it grows to be the biggest tree in the neighbourhood. And even the, I love that picture of Jesus, even the birds come and make their nests in its branches, isn't it? So your small idea, your concept, whatever it is, you know, most ideas start small and then can just grow under the power of God and the power of his spirit. And people who believe in the advance of his kingdom. What else have we got? Nobility grows in the soil of honour. Yeah, that's a subject in itself. Um, that's a really about our relationships with one another. So, you know, it's not all about just me. It's actually seeing this royalty in other people. Nobility or royalty grows in the sense of honouring one another. And, and actually... Some of your success, it won't, be, it won't prevent you, but some of your success is actually other people believing in you, isn't it? Just think in a secular level. You know, how many, people have, how many of us have had teachers who believed we could achieve something when we thought we couldn't? How many of you had mentors in your life who part of your success is that actually people took a risk with you? People believed in you. And as you share ideas and you share dreams with one another... And part of what we, you know, has become known as the culture of honour is actually saying, you know, let, let's, start, let's start with believing that. We may need to test it. We may need to, you know, you may need to, to, to try and work it out, whatever it is. But let's start with an attitude of let's believe in you. You know, they say about American society that it's a kind of can-do society. Whereas for us, it's almost like, I'm not sure if you can do society. <laughs> You know, we tend to start with doubt rather than, than belief. And we need to turn that around. That doesn't mean we're going to be stupid or naive. You know, and, and any good project needs a lot of working on it. And anything you do for God needs a lot of thought and strategizing and so on. But it actually does start with saying, you can do this. And it's like God would say to you this morning, this morning, this afternoon, you know, God can, you know, you can do what he's called you to do. Uh, is there anything else we need to cover? Responsibilities of royalty? Uh, that's a whole different talk. Okay. But you want the headlines? Mm. If you want to walk in royalty, then live in his presence. Mm. Be kingdom people. Be peacemakers. Because peace is, you know, 
a, a huge concept, includes healing, completeness, wholeness, you are carriers of peace, dream dreams, which I keep saying, we'll talk about them uh, Sunday morning, and pursue your destiny. Oh, this is for leaders, this is something, uh, we won't stop on that. Let's just end with this. <laughs> Two books to read, right? Um, both are equally good. <laughs> I wouldn't have written the one on the right if Chris hadn't written the one on the left. Okay? Um, which is kind of another lesson, isn't it? A way that we can encourage one another and build on what other people have said. And, and actually, I was almost tempted not to write it because he'd already written something. But I felt there were some things that God had spoken you know, into my life that were worth sharing. So, so that, that's, what I, that's what I did. Like just to close your eyes for a moment. So here's an activation. You may have done it with me on the evening school, but I just kind of, it kind of tries to seal in the Holy Spirit, you know, what God is is doing here. And I want you to just think for a moment. You've got this beautiful silk uh, cushion. If you've done this activation before, then you may just want to use your imagination uh, in the next bit a little bit more. But uh, beautiful silk cushion. And on it, of course, is a crown. Now, don't rush ahead here, if you, again, if you've done this before. Just, just use that sanctified imagination. Just let your eye cast itself over that crown. You might even be thinking about you know, the Queen's crown in the, in the, in the Tower of London. You know, that it's brought out, the crown jewels. There are beautiful diamonds, rubies, sapphires... There's gold, there's silver, there's all manner of wealth. I mean, it's absolutely priceless, this crown, isn't it? It's the kind of crown that would be put on somebody's head who was, you know, in such authority and conferring such power, such wealth, such rulership, such wisdom... You know, it's just glorious. You know, the, it's almost like there's only one person in the kingdom who could wear that crown. And yet what God is saying around royalty, if you are seated with him in heavenly places, then that, that is your crown. But it is for you to take that crown and place it on your head. It's not to say that God hasn't done that work in your heart, but like every truth, it has to be received, doesn't it? So in your spirit, if you like, in your imagination, what you, the question I'm leaving you this afternoon is, what are you going to do with that crown? You may physically want to just take it off of the cushion and place it on your head. Not just as I've said so, but because you just want to own this sense of royal identity. And of course, when they crowned Queen Elizabeth, or any king or queen, it was only the beginning of their rule. (laughs) There was much to learn, there was much to work out, there was many battles to be had. You know, in our Christian lives, there are all sorts of things we will work through, and we'll sometimes be left with mystery, sometimes we won't understand. But actually, Queen Elizabeth never lost her crown, has never lost her crown. She never stopped being who she is. 
remember that awful phase in her life when so much was falling apart, you know, in her family and around her. But she didn't stop being the queen. She didn't stop being the person that she is. And whatever difficulty or conflict or problem or opportunity that you face at the moment, you go into it not to earn your crown, because your crown, your royalty, has been given to you already. You work powerfully because you are a person of power. You bring God's dominion, his kingdom, because you are rulers and reigners with him. You are a person of authority because that's already been given to you. You bring peace because you're already in peace. You bring love because you're already loved. That's who you are. (laughs) The Father loves you. You are loved by God. And your ministry and your destiny works out from the place that you already are, not the other way around. So Father, release us into royalty, to rule and to reign with you. Father, to bring your kingdom into Plumstead, to London, to the southeast of England, to our nation. And Lord, give us the privilege of seeing our nation turned around in our generation. (laughs) Thank you, Father.